Episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast brought to you by me, your host, Matt Brunny. You can find me at Sports Fanatic MB on Twitter. Have an exciting episode for you guys today as me and Dennis will be getting together to do some camp battles along with bounce back candidates for next year. We'll go over uh, just some camp battles we have in the AFC North and South that we think could be interesting going into OTAs and everything. This, or I shouldn't even say the offseason because we're already in the offseason, but later on this season and leading into the preseason. So kind of battles to watch out for, who we think might win those battles, who we're looking at for fantasy. And then we will jump in and talk about some guys that had down years last year, whether it was due to injury or just poor performance, but did not play the way we expected them to. And we will talk about if we think they can bounce back this year. And Dennis, of course, thank you for joining me yet again to talk about some camp battles and bounce back candidates for this year. How are we doing today? I'm doing fantastic. We had a little bit of rain this morning, but things have cleared up nicely today. It's kind of sunny and warm, uh, much like my disposition. (laughs) Well, that is good to hear. Um, Really quick, while I've got you here, uh, we have been talking offline uh, the past couple days about the Listener League, and we have decided that we will give an idea about entries every Monday. That way it gives whoever wants to try and do whatever it takes that week to get in. We'll get a full week to do it before we decide. Uh, a couple of the last entries, we've only given people a couple days, and uh, we uh, neither one of us feel like that was fair for some people who we know listen, at, listen to some of these podcasts at later dates. So every Monday show which will come out either Monday night or Tuesday morning whenever I get a chance to upload it. We'll have all of the rules or whatever it is you need to do that week to get into the Listener League, and you'll have a full week to do it, and then we'll pick the winner on that next episode, the next Monday's episode, uh, and then we will announce the other rules. However, there is another way that you can get into that we will announce today because it is going to be running for as long as it takes for it to happen. And Dennis, you came up with this idea, so why don't you go ahead and announce to the listeners a way for them to jump into the Listener League. Well, we're currently sitting at, uh, I've been hanging around Rich too much, I'm forgetting my G's. Uh, we're currently sitting at 12 reviews uh, for our podcast, and so uh, we're going to go ahead, and when we get up to 20 reviews, we're going to pull those that new group of reviews and we'll pick a listener out of that new group that left us a review and uh, they're going to they're going to get their way uh into the uh, listeners league. You don't have to say nice stuff about us. It'd be nice. Hopefully we provide some value for you. But we also enjoy good constructive feedback as we want to get better and continue to be uh, a great resource for dynasty football information. So Give us a rate and a review. Uh, let us know. Well, you don't even have to sh- let us know you've reviewed us, 
we're just going to go on and we'll keep checking the site. And as they get added to the site, uh, when we hit that 20 mark, then we'll kind of mix them up and see which one we like the best, uh, which one maybe provides the best constructive feedback. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, choose an entry to come into the Listener League. Yeah, we're, we're excited about that again. It, so really, if we're sitting at, at 12 right now, as Dennis talked about, that gives eight of you. Whoever, with the next eight that do it, you guys will be randomly chosen. Again, uh, it, it's if at all possible, if you have Twitter, leave your Twitter handle like a lot of people have on the review or some way for us to get in contact with you, whether it's your email at the end of the review, however you want to do it. That way we can find you if you're the one that does it because if you just put some random review and then – if you put a random review and then you just put John on there, I am feel like it's pretty safe to say there's hundreds of millions of Johns in the world. It's going to be very hard to find you. So – I grew up in the country, Matt. Uh I can find. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. They do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Okay, well, Dennis will work on finding you then, because I, I, but for me, I feel like it'd be much simpler if you did it, because I, I don't want to go through all that work, but if Dennis wants to track you down, uh, by all means, uh, I, I will let him do that. So, as I talked about in the intro, we're, we're doing uh, just a, a little bit of camp battles and then bounce back candidates for this year. Uh, we'll probably continue the camp battles throughout the next couple episodes, just do two divisions each week, uh, again, with OTAs coming up, there are going to be a lot of possibly significant battles between players uh, coming out. You know, you've got well, some of the ones we'll get in today between rookies and veterans and who we think might win, and that'll be huge for Dynasty Leagues and even some redraft leagues because it might move some players around, so we really kind of wanted to touch on that. Uh, and then after that, we'll jump into a couple bounce-back players, We or we'll see if we feel like there'll be bounce-back players at each position. So in the camp battles, we're going to start in the AFC North. So what are we supposed to do? I mean, we have to be careful that we don't hurt each other, right? I cannot listen to any of your instructions, or you are my sworn enemy and are about to meet your demise. Then we're going to go in the order of the te- the way the teams finished last year. So Baltimore won the division last year, and one of the key battles for me is going to be at running back. We already know Mark Ingram is going to get the rock. They brought him in. They signed him. He's probably the best running back they have right now. Um, and I do feel like that might be a question mark because uh, I do agree with some of the stuff that I've seen on there that uh, they're just – he's never run well against stacked boxes, which you will likely see in Baltimore because we all know Lamar Jackson cannot throw the ball. So it will be interesting to see what Mark Ingram can do. However, that leaves the second position there between Gus Edwards, Kenneth Dixon, and Justice Hill. Who do you think is going to be, I would imagine if you're going to go receiving back, it's going to come down to Kenneth Dixon and Justice Hill. Who do you think is going to, t- to win that battle, and what do you think Gus Edwards' role is going to be in this offense? Well, I think Gus is going to be the direct backup to Mark Ingram. Uh, Ingram has shown the ability to catch the ball, to be a three-down back. He's a powerful guy, very sturdily built. So Edwards is, I think, going to just be the functional direct backup uh he showed a little bit last year when he came uh came on in week 11 had some good games in the uh system that they run there but 
I I feel like uh, unless Ingram gets injured, it'll be Ingram with probably 70% of the carries uh, from the running back position. Now, maybe we'll get lucky and Ingram will actually out-carry Lamar Jackson. That would be be great. Um, No chuckle. Wow. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. The, uh, so it comes, you know, for me, it comes down to, uh, Dixon and Hill. And I, I like Hill coming out of college. He had a, his, uh, sophomore season, he caught 31 passes. But when I went back and looked at Dixon, uh, I kept thinking Dixon was out of UCLA, but so that means I keep confusing him with Paul Perkins. Uh, but, Dixon's out of Louisiana Tech. He's been in the league a couple years now, and he's constantly battled injuries. Dixon uh, averaged right around 1,100 yards a game in college, and he caught almost 90 passes in college. So if Dixon can stay healthy, I think he's he's really going to provide an obstacle for uh, Justice Hill. Mm-hmm. Dixon had a... 57% spark score uh, on player profiler. He only ran a 4.58. Hill is faster, uh, a little more dynamic. Not a ton. You know, the burst score on player profiler for Hill is 133, which is a 95th percentile. But Dixon had a 124.3, which is an 80th percentile. They're fairly similarly built. Dixon is about 10 pounds heavier. Uh, so... It's it's a opportunity that's going to really depend, I think, on how well Justice Hill adjusts to the NFL game. I could see the season rolling out where Dixon and Ingram monopolize the touches. I think Dixon uh, Dixon might present a little more versatility uh, than Hill because he's a little bit bigger, so he might be able to run a little bit better. Uh, Inside uh, and off tackle, whereas Hill is much more of a space player. I think he's he's solid at two hundred pounds um, and he's fast. But I think if they end up trying to, you know, you want to give your offense some variability, and I think that Dixon and Ingram are going to provide that. Gus can't catch the ball to save right. his life. Yeah, uh, he, he's got hands like Jordan Howard. He's got the hands like Howard. He's got the hands like Howard. I just made that up. Well, that sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. I, I, I guess, uh, well, I disagree with you on this one. I actually think Justice Hill is going to end up winning it. Um, I just think Kenneth Dixon, he hasn't proven to me that he can do it. He's been in the league for years now. I know he struggled with injuries, obviously. I think uh, he had a suspension for something for, I don't think it was the whole year, but it was almost... I would, I'm pretty sure it was most of the year. I, I don't remember what it is exactly that he did. But uh, I, I really liked Hill coming out of college. He's always been very highly in my ranks. I love the spot for him uh, because I do think that his game will work well with Lamar Jackson if Lamar Jackson decides to dump it down and not run with it, which I think he's going to have to do if he wants to stay healthy. Um, I really like Justice Hill there. I think he is 
I don't want to say he's Alvin Kamara, but I do think he can play somewhat close to that, and I do think that he can thrive in that offense with Mark Ingram. Again, I'm not sold on Mark Ingram being the guy there. I think that's why they kept Gus Edwards. I don't know that Gus Edwards is going to get a huge run. I do pretty much agree with you on that, that he's going to be the main backup there for Mark Ingram. But I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Ingram uh, struggles early on if Gus Edwards does not get more run. But for me, I think it's going to be more of Ingram and Justice Hill there in the backfield for the Baltimore Ravens. Well, they're they're going to struggle with that offense because you know Jackson is going to have to grow at such an exponential rate from last year to this year yeah. to make that offense multidimensional. And I don't know that he has that. That, that he has that ability to to make a leap that big and provide a true passing threat. So that happens, and I can see them running 12 and 13 personnel with two and three tight ends. And, you know, while you're going to stack the box, we're going to put in Boyle and Hurst and Andrews, who's a – Hurst is a good pass catcher, and Andrews is a great pass catcher. So if you go three tight ends, one back, Hollywood Brown out on the outside, you know – taking the top off, it's it's going to create a, a, a really unique look to that offense. But if you match up and just go mano-a-mano and, and you're, you beat the guy across from you, Baltimore can rip off seven, eight yards a pop, and it's all about moving the ball down the field. And if, if you're getting five, six, seven, eight yards at a, a crack, then – what more can you ask for? You, you know, then you're going to be consistently in second and short. Yeah. Well, see, and I think what you just touched on is exactly it. I mean, their offense on paper does look scary. It's all going to come down to Lamar Jackson, though. If, if he cannot improve at all, again, I think – I know we've talked about it in earlier podcasts this offseason. I think he was completing on average or he was or making – it was only 14 pass attempts a game was his average last year, and that's just not going to do it in this this year's this this year this new NFL where the air the passing game is the NFL right now. I mean, I I still love the running backs. I think they're a huge role, but if you're able to stack the boxes again and, and keep them to say two yards a carry, and Lamar Jackson doesn't hit Marquise Brown or Andrews or Hurst or Boykin or any of these guys on the outside because he's just so inaccurate they're going to be able to shut down that offense. I mean, Lamar Jackson will be electric, but again, I still worry about him being able to survive in the NFL if he takes too many big hits. As we were both just touching on some of the wide receivers, there's also a big battle here. And how I'm going to preface this is most offensive now, though I do think, as you were just touching on, this is going to be more of like a two wide receiver, two tight end set. So we'll go with who the two you think are going to be there. And then if you had to pick one other guy, the third, when they run their three wide receiver sets, who it's going to be. So we've got four here. Two guys they drafted last year and two guys they drafted this year. You've got Miles Boykin, Marquise Brown, Jaleel Scott, and Jordan Lasley. All these guys, again, drafted in the past two years. I mean, I would say Marquise Brown has obviously the most draft capital out of all, all four of these guys being drafted in the first round this year. Who do you imagine is going to win the battles to start on the outside? Well, I I feel like it's going to be Brown handed that role. Um, if his foot is good to go, they're going to give him the opportunity. He's got the speed. Uh, he's He has the uh, creativeness to be able to find an opening when Jackson is on the run and 
it, it's going to put him out there with an opportunity to make plays. I feel like Willie Sneed is going to be in there. Un- unless they cut him, he's going to be the starter. He's the veteran. He's going to be the steadying presence. He's going to, you know, he's big enough to provide some blocking ability in three wide sets. Uh, you know, Jaleel Scott uh, didn't play much last year. Jordan Lasley, I think, was on IR all year. So they're going to have to take steps. And, and I think that Baltimore is really going to, other than Brown, they're going to need their wide receivers to be very competent blockers. Mm-hmm. All right, so, so I, I'm, I'm going to put it Sneed, Brown out there. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's Boykin is the biggest of the others yeah. at 6'4", 220. But he didn't, you know, his game, I don't know if it translates. You know, Notre Dame was bad last the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. They have had terrible quarterback play. So you kind of feel bad for Boykin going to Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting. I I think that when they go when they go three wide, that third wide I think is going to be Mark Andrews. Gotcha. So we're going to disagree again. I guess we're just going to keep disagreeing on Baltimore here. I'll, I'll be interested to see if we do as well on on the tight ends here in a minute. Um, I think that Brown, I agree with you that Brown is going to get it again. I think a lot of it being draft capital, and he is perceived to be the best wide receiver on the that wide receiver core, which may be true, uh, but I'm going to stick what I've been saying this entire time, and that I think Miles Boykin is going to be the best wide receiver there for them because of what he does. Uh, you know, you just touched on he played with a bad quarterback in Notre Dame, so he has experience with it. He knows what to do, uh, and I do think that he's going to be able to thrive there with Lamar Jackson just a little bit. Um, Willie Sneed, I could see being put there in the slot. I just don't think... Willie Sneed is going to do anything. I, I loved Willie Sneed in New Orleans, but even at times in New, I would say 60% of the time in New Orleans, he was ineffective. I didn't see much out of him last year in Baltimore. I have no faith that he's going to do much of anything uh, for fantasy. I'm sure that he will. Again, he is the veteran, and he is probably the most notable veteran on that on the in the wide receiver core. So I do think he's going to get playing time. He likely will win a battle there. Uh, but I would I would assume, or at least for me, I would think he's going to be in the slot more than anything with Brown and Boykin on the outside. Uh, and I do think that Lasley and Scott there, no, uh, yeah, Lasley and Scott are just going to be kind of pushed to the side, be kind of just a uh, fill in guys for when one of those guys needs a breath. Yeah, I don't think Snead is going to be fantasy relevant. Mm. I just think he's going to be out there because he's the veteran. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm agreeing with you on that, but that's what I'm saying. I think he's going to be relegated more to the slot where I think Boykin and Brown will be the guys on the outside because I don't see them putting Brown in the slot, though I don't think that would be a bad place for him either. With his speed, again, as you were saying, if his foot's fully healed, he's he can be so explosive that if they put him in the slot, again, uh, you know, a crossing pattern, or he gets the ball five yards away from the line of scrimmage, all he's got to do is make a couple guys miss, and he's on his way to the end zone. So I'd, I would not be surprised if they put him there, but I would imagine he's going to be on the outside since that's what he did mostly in college. Uh, and I just think Boykin is going to be the better receiver, and that's why I think he's going to win the other job on the outside, which I think will relegate Willie Sneed more to to the slot position, which, again, neither one of us think is going to be I, or at least I don't think is going to be that relevant there for Baltimore because I agree with you in the fact that I think they're going to have a lot more two wide receiver sets because they want to get those two tight ends out there as well because they're going to be blocking for the run more often than throwing the ball. 
which leads us to the tight ends. I know which way I lean between Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. Uh, I know they also ha- have Boyle there as well. Um, not necessarily, I guess, a camp battle, but who would you take out of these two tight ends for fantasy? Because I do think both will be on the field uh, fairly often. Would you rather have Mark Andrews or Hayden Hurst? I- I'm going to go with Andrews. Uh, I think he's the better receiver. Um, and you don't get fantasy points for blocking. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like he's the one that he's the dynamic playmaker of the tight ends. He, he's uh, going to stretch the field more. Uh, Hurst is Hurst is perfectly fine. And in, you know, Hurst is like Kyle Rudolph mm-hmm. to me. You know, he's, he's going to be, he's one of those guys that's always going to be floating around that tight end nine to 14. Um, but he's, he's never going to be one of those guys that you're, that's a must own. I feel like Andrews has the dynamic receiving ability that he can be, uh, you know, a top five tight end if he has a top 12 quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, so he won't be that for a while. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately. But, <laughs> You know, snap share, you know, there were a couple games in the middle of the season where uh, Hurst outplayed uh, Andrews. Mm-hmm. But then for the most part, Andrews was on the field more. Uh, Andrews ran more routes. Uh, Andrews caught more passes, had more more red zone targets. Um, and, and I know that Hurst had the injury, and that kept him out for the beginning of the season and uh, caused him to miss a couple games in the middle of the season, a few games. I expect him to be healthy this year, but I expect him to be the inline blocker, not blocker, inline tight end more so than Andrews. Andrews will be the flex, Hurst will be in line. Right. And there's that they could both be, like I said, viable. I just think Andrews is the one that's going to give you the most points. No, and I agree with you right there. I know, um, again, uh, we weren't doing the, this podcast together at this point in time last year, but again, we, we still have had a lot of discussions throughout the year, and I know you know I was big on Andrews. Uh, I'm pretty sure you were too, as especially with as big as both of us were on Baker Mayfield and talking about he was Baker Mayfield's guy. I know Brown was there with Baker, but if you guys go back and look at the stats and look at everything that uh, Baker and uh, Andrews did at Oklahoma – Andrews was Baker's guy, and I was huge on Andrews coming out. I thought that he would be the guy. I was actually a little disappointed when they drafted Hurst over him, uh, and everybody that offseason was talking about how Hayden Hurst was going to be the guy because he was a better blocker and all this stuff, and I was completely against that, and Andrews showed why at the end of last year. He is just dynamic when it comes to offense. Yeah, he's not as good of a blocker as Hayden Hurst, no doubt about that. He's probably never going to be as good a blocker as Hayden Hurst, but he is a phenomenal athlete and a great offensive weapon. He's a guy I would take all day long, every day. I actually think he has a chance to be a viable tight end uh, with as poor as the position is again because he showed a great connection with Lamar Jackson last year. Now they go into this offseason, they have more time to work together, uh, and then go into the season. I think he's going to be a starter with Hayden Hurst out there, uh, so I do think that he's going to be awesome this year. Uh, I'm glad of all the shares that I have of him because I think he's going to to prove me right this year for sure. So moving on to the Pittsburgh. Well, I, you know, oh, go ahead. Well, but back to Andrews, you know, Andrews and Hurst are almost exactly the same size. Yeah. 
Andrew's actually is coming into the league, uh, his metrics on player profiler, he's actually six pounds heavier, uh, and they're the, they're the same height. So Andrews has to be, I guess, willing to block. And if he's, if he's willing, you know, he could get some of those single tight end snaps mm-hmm. uh, that could put him out there a little bit more. I, I see no reason to think he wouldn't be willing. Uh, uh, you know, the only argument to make for him uh, not being willing is that, well, he's a former wide receiver. Yeah. Um, and, and that doesn't make sense. But they're uh, in there on the season uh, – Kind of to, to support my argument here, in 12 games, you know, Hurst had 23 targets. His yards per target average was 7.1. Uh-huh. And on 50 targets uh, in 16 games, uh, Andrew's yards per target average was 11. So uh, almost four full yards more per target for Andrews. Yeah. And so it kind of it sets up for them both to be on the field together. And like I said, so if they go twelve personnel with two wide receivers and one back, you, you've got both of them out there. If they go twelve, uh, you know, Andrews can flex out and be that third wide receiver. So it, it, it makes sense for what their team is, and it puts big bodies out there that can block downfield. Mm-hmm. So if guys like Justice Hill get out in the open field. Or Marquise Brown, you know, you've got now you've got a 250 pound wide receiver slash tight end out there running down the field with him. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who did finish second last year in the AFC North. Connors, Samuels, and Snell are the running back trio for the Steelers. Uh, I'll kind of give my take first because I don't think it's it's outlandish. Not that I'm, I'm going to say that yours is, but uh, I do think that it's really going to come down to Connor and Samuels. Uh, I think Samuels is still going to be the receiving back. He proved well last year. I think Connor is going to be the main guy. However, I don't think it's going to be what it was when Le'Veon Bell was there and him getting 90% of the carries. I do think that Benny Snell will get work in there. Um, and I, and for me personally, uh, just saying this now, since we're talking about these guys, if you own James Conner, I would do everything I could to draft Benny Snell in your rookie drafts, uh, because I do think he is a, I should say phenomenal back, but he's a very good running back. And I do think with James Conner's injury history, especially what we saw from him last year as well with the injuries, if he goes down, I think Benny Snell is going to be able to step in and produce at James Conner's level, but I don't see him taking the job away from James Conner at worst, I could see it being like a 70-30 split between those two with Samuels being the main receiving back. Uh, how do you see this backfield shaping up? Well, I, I think it's it's Conner's backfield, and and this that may sound contradictory to a lot of stuff I've, I've said on Twitter about Conner being a jag. Uh, I do think Conner is, is a jag, um, but I also think he's – the best jag on that team. Uh, Samuels isn't going to, he's not a runner and people have tried to make a big deal out of uh, the Steelers hiring Samuels college running back coach. And I'm like, so wait a minute. So I'm supposed to be all in on Jalen Samuels because they hired the coach who didn't see fit to give him more than 14 touches in a single game, not carries, but touches in a single game in college. So no, I'm not in on Samuel's taking Connor's job. 
Snell, I think, is much like Gus Edwards. He's going to be the direct backup to James Conner. He'll spell him when he needs spelling. Uh, He has very similar traits to Conner. I think Conner might be a little bit faster than Snell. But Snell is a a good all-around back. He's shown that he can carry the workload. And in Pittsburgh's offense, you know, Pittsburgh does a couple things really well. They draft running backs that fit what their offense does, and they draft wide receivers late to develop that fit what their offense does. Mm -hmm. So I think if Snell was to go or uh, Connor was to go, go down or be out for a few games, I think Snell will step in and produce at an 80 or 90% rate of what Connor would, much like Connor stepped in and produced and at some points in the season outproduced what Bell did the previous year. Uh, I don't think he outproduced what Bell did historically. No, uh, yeah. Because Bell, Bell was you know, pretty good. Um, yeah, I'd say he's pretty good. Pretty good is a fair So I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, th- there's clearly a pecking order, and each guy is going to have their role. Samuels is going to get some third down stuff in the occasional um, handoff. Connor is going to get the handoffs and the occasional target, and Snell is going to back up Connor. Yeah, yeah. So we we pretty much agree there. Like I said, I, I, I'm with you with Snell. I don't think he's a is a horrible back. I do think if I guess in a way to put it, he's like a James Connor light, and I do think that uh, he'll be able to to do good if Connor's out. I mean, obviously none of us hope that Connor gets hurt, uh, but he has struggled with a little bit of injuries here this last year. Not much so much in college. He missed time, obviously, due to. Uh, him trying to get them battle through cancer, which we're glad that he was able to do. So the wide receivers as well for Pittsburgh have a little bit of battle, and I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about these three guys. Uh, we all think that Juju is going to be the one now. He's been proven that he can be uh, a stud. Some will argue that he's never proven he can do it without A.B. We're not going to argue that point today. We'll save that for, for later on into the offseason. For right now, we know for sure he's at least locked in to one of those spots, whether it's the one or not, he's going to be out there. So that leaves us with Pittsburgh, one of the teams that runs three wide receivers more than anybody, James Washington, Dante Moncrief, and then the rookie they drafted this year in Deontay Johnson. So assuming two of those guys are going to be out there all the time with Juju Smith-Schuster, who are the two that you think are going to win the battle? I think the season is going to start with uh, Washington and Moncrief. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh tends to bring their guys along slowly unless they are an elite level talent. So Johnson will get the opportunity. I know there was some buzz about him getting first team reps uh, in OTAs the other day, but yeah. it's spring and you're getting him. Uh, he's learning the offense. I don't think Juju needs to take every single rep in OTAs to, to develop chemistry with Ben. So I'm not going to sweat that. It was funny to watch uh, as soon as that hit Twitter uh, to watch him get drafted in our uh, final destination draft. That yeah. kind of caused me to chuckle. Um, but I think it'll, it'll be Washington out there, and Washington is going to be on the outside to stretch the field. Moncrief is going to be on the other side to stretch the field. And I think in two wide receiver sets, it's going to be Washington and Juju. Uh, but Juju will move around the field. Uh, he's clearly the the number one there. He's the alpha. And Washington or Moncrief 
will have to step up. If they don't, I think then Pittsburgh will push uh, Johnson's development. Curious who else, if they have anybody else of note on that team. Uh, they've got Eli Rogers and Ryan Switzer, I would, I think, are the next two that are probably the most relevant. Which, And again, I don't see, I don't think either one of those guys competes with those guys. Maybe more against Deontay Johnson here because, as you said, they do really, Juju and Hines Ward, for me, are the only two that I can think of. I guess Antonio Brown to an extent. We're the only wide receivers that I can remember in Pittsburgh history that came out and played quickly. Most wide receivers, they let sit for at least a year. Now, you know, obviously we kind of saw that with James Washington. He did play a little bit at the beginning of last year, but then really when it seemed like he was struggling with the offense, got put on the bench and pretty much left there uh, for the rest of the season. Now, so I could see Switzer and Rodgers maybe battling a little bit with them, but I mean... I, I think they still have Darius Hayward Bay, but I think he's he's got he's mostly just a special teams guy. I can't imagine he's coming back out there and doing anything at the wide receiver right. position. So, yeah, and and I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. I completely agree with what you said. I, again, I'm, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows I'm not a Dante Dante Moncrief guy. I, I think he is wildly overrated, uh, but he is going to start out there because he's just more polished than Deontay Johnson is right now. But I would not be surprised if Johnson makes it onto the field at some point later in the year. Uh, But I do think it is going to start out as Juju, Washington, and Dante Moncrief. That's really it for the Steelers. Uh, Not really any kind of battle there at tight end. We all know it's going to be Vance McDonald. At least that's who I think it's going to be. I can't imagine it's going to be anybody else. So we'll be interesting to see him. I can't wait. Just in these talking about camp battles, I cannot wait. Till we can finally sit down and really, once OTAs and everything are done, we start getting into preseason, start breaking down some of these rosters, because that is going to be fun as well. Uh, For Cleveland, for me, there's really only one battle, and I'm really interested to hear where you go with this, uh, because I feel like I might have a, I wouldn't say a hot take, but a little bit of a different take than what I've heard a lot of people say, though, of all people, I think you might be the one to agree with me because of something I'll say here, but I'm going to let you take it first. It really comes down to the wide receiver spots. We know Odell is going to be on the outside as the one. You know, there's no real battle between Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt right now. There's no point talking about that. Chubb's going to be the guy for the first eight weeks, and then I think even when Kareem Hunt comes back, at worst, it's going to be a 50-50 split. It's not going to be one guy getting 90% of the carries, at least I don't think. Uh, and if you disagree with me on that, you can answer that before we get to the wide receivers. Uh, but the wide receivers, the battle between Landry, Callaway, and Higgins, how do you see that shaping out for the Browns? Well, I think that it gives the Browns one of the best uh, top four wide receiver cores that they've had in, gosh, who knows how long. Um, yeah. Higgins is a lunch pail guy that just makes plays and, does whatever is asked of him. Not tremendous speed. He's not going to stretch the field. Yeah. Uh, Landry, Jarvis Landry. I think Landry is going to end up uh, settling back into his Miami role, uh, primarily a slot guy, mm-hmm. which I, I – trust me, I, I, I love that he uh, – wants to fight like a dog to be an outside receiver but man just accept that you're you're the probably you know one of the top five slot guys to ever play the game and and just keep being great at it and racking up numbers doing that 
you know, find those open holes because when you, when you do, the quarterback finds you and you're going to get all, all that you can handle. Yeah. And then you'll get the occasional, you know, you'll be out there in the two wide receiver sets as well. So for me, it, it's clearly Landry is the number two. And so it comes down to Callaway and Higgins. I'm a big Callaway fan. I think of the two guys, he's much more dynamic. Yeah. Um, I think Higgins is a little more versatile. Higgins can play in the slot, and he can play outside. But Callaway is a guy that can take the top off the defense. Um, he needs to get more consistent with his hands, mm-hmm. and that that's something that he, he really needs to, to get wrapped up or – uh, you know, you don't catch the ball, they stop throwing it to you. Yeah, exactly. So I think it'll be, it, it, I I would expect that Higgins and Callaway, unless one of them gets injured or one of them just comes out of the gate, lighten it up and starts to put pressure on Landry, that they're going to pretty evenly split the snaps at the wide receiver three spot. How's that for a hedge? Yeah, it's a very good one. Uh, <laughs> so for me... We agree and uh, I think somewhat disagree on this. I, it's going to be Odell, and I, I think a lot of people feel that Jarvis Landry is going to be the two. I think Jarvis is going back into the slot. I think Callaway is going to be the guy on the outside. Now, I agree with you when it comes to two wide receiver sets. Jarvis is going to be out there. They paid him. They love him. You know, He's going to be out there whether he can – be as effective on the outside or not, I do think that he will be out there on two wide receiver sets. I think Callaway is going to outproduce Landry this year. It may be just the camp talk. I, I may be getting sucked in, and you know what? I'm okay with it. All the talk coming out of camp is how fast he looks, how much in sh- how much better in shape he is. That's all he's been working on is catching the ball, improving his hand. Well, I can- you can't really improve your hands, but improving catching the ball Callaway, as you said, it is dynamic. I would say he's more dynamic than Jarvis Landry. I love Landry, love what he can do. He doesn't have the top end speed like Callaway has. He can't take the top off a of defense like he does. Callaway on the other side of Odell, I think, is going to have a huge year, again, all based on if he can catch the ball, because the coverages are going to shift to Odell and Jarvis Landry, which is going to put Callaway on likely the second, third, or even fourth. Best cornerback out there. Callaway's going to be able to beat them. We saw it at the end of last year. I know we were talking about it multiple times during Brown game, Brown's games, how Callaway improved throughout the year, was doing a better job. You can see Baker was trusting him more often. A big one was that Denver game that I was at. His touchdown catch in the back of the end zone was nice. It was awesome. He improved over the year. I really think that coming into this year, as long as he can keep his head straight, you know, he, no, no, we haven't heard anything about any off-field stuff since last year during the right before, uh, goodness, what's it, hard knocks and everything. If he can keep his head straight, keep working on the field like all the talk is that he is, I think Callaway is in for a huge year this year, and I think he's actually going to end up being the wide receiver two in Cleveland over Jarvis Landry. Yeah, in that Denver game, he played against Bradley Roby 80% of the game, mm-hmm. uh, ran 27 routes and had seven targets for uh, five receptions. So he didn't have a ton of yardage. but Yeah, he, but Bradley Roby still know, he, is a very good cornerback. And, that, and, and, I, and I, that's where I think it's going to change because I think now with Odell being there, because you got to think, or I'm not 
you don't have to think, but uh, for me, I feel like last year there was a lot of focus on him because we all, I mean, I agreed with you. I like to give you crap about the Jarvis hate, but I completely agree with you. He's not an outside wide receiver, and that's what he tried to be last year. And when that happened, I would, I mean, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would imagine if we were to go back and look at it, he was up against the top corners more often than not. Now, he improved and looked good throughout the year, but there were a lot of games that he was completely shut down, where now I think those top corners will be on Odell. Those second ones will go to Jarvis, which will allow it will allow Callaway to be in the better matchup. Yeah, and that's, you know, he went against Roby, uh, who's the, uh, a great slot corner in that game, uh, and he tended to play a lot against the slot corners last year. Mm-hmm. So if you put him on the outside, then... He's going to go against, you know, some, and, and on some corners or on some teams, the slot corner is the best or the second best corner. Mm-hmm. It, cornerback has become such a specialized position. So, yeah, putting him, uh, you know, four wide receiver sets up, up against, you know, the cor- third or fourth cornerback, he's going to, um, you know, he has definitely has a shot to, to get out there and uh, make some stuff happen. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm interested to see if it does happen because I will be clipping that and playing it everywhere if he does prove me wrong. If not, I'll just delete this episode uh, somewhere close to the end of next year so nobody will remember that I said that. Uh, moving on to Cincinnati, we've got a – I don't know necessarily if this year, and I guess really this year is all that matters for Cincinnati, but there is somewhat of possibly a battle here in the backfield between Giovanni Bernard – Rodney Anderson and Travion Williams. Again, Bernard, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, will be a free agent after this year. So that's why I'm saying it may not be a battle for the future. Uh, but at least for this year, how do you see the backfield shaking out for the Bengals? Well, it wouldn't surprise me if they moved on from Bernard. Mm-hmm. Um, they can cut him with only a $750,000 oh, cap wow. hit. I see. I did not know that. So it, if they don't... Uh, if they decide that you know what we really like what Travion's doing, um, we're, we're comfortable with Rodney. Let me see who else they got in their backfield there. Uh, they signed Darren Hall, who was uh, actually split time in Pittsburgh with my guy Quadri Allison. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hall rushed for a thousand yards last year. He's he's a good back. So I think a lot of where Bernard sits depends on. Uh, how does he fit Zach Taylor's offense? And if he fits it well, then I think they're going to want to keep him because uh, he's signed. He's only $4.5 million, uh, $750,000 in dead cap. So he's, he's affordable. Um, yeah. You know, Mike Brown is cheap. So it, I could see him keeping him just because. Uh, he's going to be cheap, and he's he's good. You know the trouble with with Bernard is he he does seem to get dinged up and miss time every year. So, I you know I don't know how how that's going to play into the situation. There's a lot of unknown for me with Cincinnati with Zach Taylor and Callahan, their new offensive coordinator. Um, you know they're investing in their offensive line. Uh, Cordy Glenn's moving to guard. They. Drafted Jonah Williams to take over the the left tackle. Uh, Billy Price, they drafted him at center last year. So they've got a couple questions on the right side. Uh, They signed John Miller 
to take over. I forget who he's taking over for. Oh, I guess I can look at it here. Uh, Alex Redman is who was there last year, um, but he didn't. He wasn't great. Uh, Clint Bowling, uh, I think he might be retiring. So they signed Bobby Hart to play right tackle. You know, they're going to have they have a couple questions on the right side that they're going to have to answer along their offensive line. Um, but as far as Giovanni Bernard, you know, I could see him see him uh, getting shipped off somewhere for a seventh round pick. Uh, he's got a good contract. You know, he'd look good in Tampa. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me right now, um, I'm going to agree with you that it's going to be Gio. If he gets moved, I think it's going to be Travion Williams. Rodney Anderson is a good receiver out of the backfield, but that's not really his game. I don't think he's set for that. And we, we you guys have heard me talk about many times, like I'm huge on Rodney Anderson. I would not be surprised if by some time next year, maybe even the back half of this year, he's not given more of a role in the offense. But I think, if anything, it's going to come down to Bernard and Williams uh, for that second role or the receiving role next to Mixon. Not really a battle here on the outside with the wide receivers. We know A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd are going to be the two. Uh, but again, another team that if they're going to do anything like what Zach Taylor has come from and the offenses that he has, especially with uh, Mr. Sean McVay there and, and the Golden Child in Los Angeles, uh, they will likely run then a lot of three wide receiver sets, which then gives you who is the third wide receiver going to be. They have Auden Tate, who they drafted last year. John Ross, who you know broke the combine record, highly touted, has not really been able to put it all together on the field. Uh, and then Stanley Morgan Jr., who's picked up as an undrafted free agent. They have a couple other guys in there like Cody Core and Alex Dickerson, uh, but not guys who, at least in my opinion, really stand out. Uh, so out of those three, who do you think ends up winning the third battle or the third wide receiver spot? Well, you know, it's Tate is a, a red zone guy. He's not very fast. He's he's Kelvin Benjamin. So that's an indictment he, right he, there. He makes the team because he has a very specific role. Uh, I, you know, he's 6'5", 225, uh, and and runs uh, in the high four sixes. So uh, his uh, his role is. Uh, being in the red zone. So I don't think it's going to be him. Um, Morgan, you know, he's a rookie. He's going to have to prove he belongs. He, he was a free agent. Um, one guy that's been on the team now for about three years that they seem to keep liking but hasn't been able to put it together because of injuries uh, is Josh Malone out of Tennessee. He's a bigger kid, 6'4", 200, good speed, so I think that third third wide receiver is going to come down to uh, Ross and Malone. Alex Erickson is a pure slot guy, so potentially if they if they're going to run somebody that's specifically only in the slot, uh, I could see Erickson taking that role. Uh, I could also see Giovanni Bernard taking that role. You know, he's a really really good pass catcher. I could see him flexing out into the slot, uh, running routes without any issue whatsoever. So it, it's going to be a roll of the dice from a fantasy perspective uh, because you don't know. It, you want to extrapolate their offense to the Rams, but, you know, Andy Dalton's coming back off of an injury. Uh, 
Tyler Eifert's uh, been put together one more time. Uh, you know, C.J. Uzoma is just a guy. Drew Sample was one of the most shocking draft picks uh, uh, of this draft. So, you know, it, it all – I think John Ross is going to play a role um, with his speed, and I think Alex Erickson is going to play a role because of his – ability to play in the slot. I don't know if any other receiver is going to be able to put together all of the things to be, uh, you know, so AJ green is, uh, what he's not Robert Woods. He's not, is he Cooper cup, Tyler Boyd? Uh, you know, the thing, the thing with, uh, comparing them to the Rams is I don't think any of the, uh, Bengals receivers, except John Ross, have the speed of Cooks or Woods. Um, and so it's really, it, it's a little bit more of a challenge to extrapolate a match there. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going too deep on Cincinnati wide receivers and that's it. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it is going to be Ross again. They, they took him in the first round. I believe it was at pick nine overall. Um, I just think that as much as I hate to say the draft capital because I don't always uh, think that draft capital matters that much, I just think that he's got the better shot. I also think he's just more talented than any of the other guys there. So I think he's going to get that shot again uh, there with Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green. I, I, I don't necessarily question any of them uh, being there. I think Green will be the biggest question mark for me just because we haven't seen – him really fully healthy the past couple seasons. He's really been struggling and dealing with injuries. I'd love to see him come back and, and have a, a good year and be healthy all year long. I think Tyler Boyd would thrive from that as well. And then, you know, like I said, we'll see We'll see what happens. None of us know what Zach Taylor's offense is going to be. We can only guess at this moment because he's never really been a head coach and hasn't ever really been much of an offensive play caller either. So it'll be interesting to see how that battles out. But if I had to pick one, I would take John Ross. Moving on to the AFC South, the Houston Texans won the division last year. Right now, I don't think it's really much of a battle here, um, but we've got Lamar Miller, who is likely going to be the bell cow, at least for the moment, for the Houston Texans. Backing up behind him, you have Donta Foreman, Karan Higdon, and Connor Gillespie. Who do you think is going to end up being the backup or getting a split here with Lamar Miller if you think that is what's going to happen for the Texans? Well, I think Deontay Foreman or Dante Foreman is the guy who's going to get first crack at being the, the compliment to Lamar Miller. I think the, the bigger question comes down to if something happens to Miller, is Foreman ready to take over? And if Foreman takes over, then who's the compliment to him? It's not Cullen Gillespie. He's a fullback special teamer. Uh, it's it's not him. So it comes down to uh, Demarie Crockett, who was an undrafted free agent, and Karen Higdon, who I think was a sixth or seventh round draft pick. No, he was undrafted uh, as well. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah. So for, for yeah. me, uh, it's Demarie Crockett. Uh, I think he's the the more dynamic back. He's a little bit bigger, a little bit faster. Uh, uh, no, he's a, actually a touch slower. So. Higdon was a four five, Crockett was a four five five. Uh, Crockett's a seventy third percentile spark athlete. 
Higdon uh, wasn't measured. He didn't do any agility testing. Mm-hmm. Um, in college, Higdon caught a grand total of six pa- seven or wait, sixteen passes in four years, and Crockett caught only twenty one passes. Uh, but he increased each year as uh, his career went on. Crockett has a thousand yard season under his belt. He broke out as a freshman. Uh, Higdon kind of just built his career, getting a little better each year uh, until there was nobody else left there. Uh, but Crockett is the the more dynamic of the two players, and so if I if I'm gonna roll the dice and I'm gonna take one of these guys and put them at the end of my roster, I'm going to take Crockett. Gotcha. Yeah, so for me, obviously, Foreman is uh, the guy right now, and he was very good his rookie year until the Achilles injury. Uh, I'm not really going to hold much against what we saw out of him last year. Uh, to me, he looked a little bit overweight, and I'm sure some of that was just him having to come back uh, as soon as he was able to, or he got cleared from the pup list and everything because Lamar Miller was struggling with injuries at the end of last year as well. They really did not have much depth there. Alfred Blue was just not getting it done. He's not even on the team anymore. Um, other than him, I mean, I've, I've liked Karan Higdon for a long time. I wouldn't be surprised if he is able to carve out a role for himself. I know a lot of people are high on Gillespie. I, I don't know much about him, so I can't tout him. Uh, for me, it's, it's in all honesty a backfield I'd steer clear of. If Miller goes down, I would imagine Foreman is the one who gets the go there uh, and is the main guy. And then after that, I think it's going to be a lot of what we've seen in the past. And it's just going to be a bunch of guys just getting a little bit of, of touches here and there with like we saw with Alfred Blue and man I cannot remember who the other guy was that they would split back split carries with back then but it was Alfred Blue and it seemed like two or three other backs at times when Lamar Miller would go down I imagine that is what they will do if Foreman um, is the guy to, to kind of give him a rest or, or split carries with it'll be a, uh, just a, a running back by committee at that point. Yeah, so for the tight ends, like I said, I, I don't see this really being much of a battle. I like Khalil Waring. Uh, you know, we've we've talked about him a little bit. Uh, I cannot remember who we had on at the moment uh, that was really big on him. Uh, kind of Sal. Got, Sal, there we go. I thought it was Sal, but I didn't want to say Sal. So when we had Sal Leto on, uh, you know, Khalil Waring was a guy that he talked very highly of. Obviously, you had Jordan Thomas and Jordan Aikens there last year. Both looked good at times. In my opinion, neither one stood out more than the other. Uh, so is there a guy out of these three that you would take, or is just kind of like a, a void situation at the moment? Well, let's see. Aikens had a 68% catch rate last year. Thomas uh, Thomas played more snaps Uh well, I guess they both had about the same number of targets now that I'm looking at it a little closer. It seems like Aikens is more of the pass catcher. Thomas is 200, almost 280 pounds. That's a big-ass tight end there. Yeah. Uh, so, Waring is going to have an opportunity to come in and be the pass-catching tight end. Uh, do you remember what his stats are in college? Waring? No, I don't. So, of 51 passes uh, in college at San Diego State. Uh, senior year, he went 31 for 372, 12 uh, yards per catch, and three touchdowns. So, what Waring brings to the table is athleticism. He's played 
uh, volleyball, water polo, tennis, uh, lots of sports in his uh, high school career, college career, growing up. Uh, he is going to provide, the, I think, what uh, the other two guys can't which is he's going to be like mark andrews i think he just has to they have to find out can he be that kind of pass catcher or is he just going to be a great is he going to be rico gathers or is he going to be uh you know tony gonzalez Mm -hmm. there's there's a wide range of outcomes when you have these super athletic guys playing tight end that kind of come to the show late you know gathers is flashed a little bit, but never seemed to have been able to put it together. And Gonzalez, you know, and Antonio Gates, college basketball players that became football players that have been super successful at it uh, and going to go to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Waring will probably end up somewhere in the middle of them. Um, but I think uh, I would expect that Thomas is going to get the opportunity to be the starter. Um, he, he was the starter for most of last year. Uh, started 10 games. Ryan Griffin is gone after his little drunken mishap. Mm-hmm. And so Thomas will be close to the line of scrimmage. He's going to be blocking. Uh, he showed himself to be an able receiver. Caught 74% of the passes thrown to him. Uh, eight yards per target. So it was better than Hayden Hurst. Um I would expect Thomas will be the starter. Aikens will back him up, and Waring is going to learn how to be an NFL player. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at it right now. If uh, if I'm in a rookie draft and you're looking for a tight end who has some serious upside, I would not. Uh, I would take Waring. I think that he might have a chance to become the tight end there uh, in Houston by next year. And, and obviously, with as explosive as that offense is, you want a tight end in an explosive offense. But I don't see him doing much this year. Uh, I think it's going to come down to Thomas and then Aikens. In Indianapolis, they uh, finished second in the division. Not necessarily a battle at the running back position. I think we all think Marlon Mack is is going to be the guy and be given the shot there. Uh, They really didn't go out and draft another running back. They did bring in Spencer Ware, though, who has shown at times to be at least a decent back. He can run the ball and be a decent receiver out of the backfield. So for me, the real battle comes down to Spencer Ware and Naheem Hines getting kind of those second touches there behind Marlon Mack, who would you lean on out of those two? I I, I think that Hines is going to play the role that Hines is playing. He's going to be purely a receiving back, get the occasional handoff. Uh, Hines is going to be a bigger Tariq Cohen. Um, I don't know if he's going to get the volume because Mack is uh, a good receiver. Uh, I'm all in on Marlon Mack this year. I think he's going to have a fantastic season. Uh, that's a very diversified offense, and Mack can play all three downs, and I think he's going to get that opportunity. That being said, I still think that uh, Hines gets enough targets to hit 50 catches again this season. Uh, they they can put both Mack and Hines out there at the same time, uh, put Mack in the, or Hines in the slot or flex him out wide. Um, so Hines is what I would consider the number two, where is going to be the backup to, uh, Marlon Mack. He'll get 
you know, 20% of the snaps, 25% of the snaps, uh, unless Matt gets injured. But he has a decent enough skill set. It's easy for me to slur. Um, He has a decent enough skill set that he will end up uh, being able to, they won't have to change their offense when Matt comes out of the game and Ware goes in. Um, He isn't nearly as dynamic as Ware, uh, or excuse me, as Mack. but he is a good running back, and he can do all of the same things, if not quite at the level of Marlon Mack. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. I do think that Ware is going is. I think he was just brought in mostly to be a backup uh, to Mack. Uh, Mack does. I, I don't want to say have an injury history, but he has struggled through some injuries every season. Uh, nothing that's kept him out for you know six, seven, eight games, but a couple games here and there every uh, so far in the past two years. Uh, so I think Spencer Ware is going to be brought is really just brought in to do that. I love Naheem Hines. I feel like there was another guy there I liked, but I'm probably overthinking that. Um, you know, Jordan Wilkins. No, no. What are you talking about? I did not like Jordan Wilkins. <laughs> no. uh, I love, but I did love Naheem Hines as well, uh, and I agree with you. I think Christian Michael. Chris, no, I did not like Christian Michael. It was, it was definitely Jordan Wilkins, and I still have a little bit of faith in him. Not as much faith as I have in Ronald Jones this year, uh, but Jordan Wilkins, you know, maybe, maybe he'll show something. But, uh, but I doubt it at this point. I feel like his his chance is gone. Uh, but I do love Naheem Hines, uh, and I think he's going to be an awesome weapon for them. I do worry a little bit with one of the wide receivers that they drafted might end up stealing a little bit of uh, work away from him. Uh, but I think it's really going to be the Mac and Hines show. And unless Matt gets hurt, where is going to be relegated to the bench, the wide receivers for Indianapolis. This is probably the biggest battle we're going to have today. So you've got multiple wide receivers fighting here. We know T Y Hilton is the guy. He's got a great rapport with Andrew Luck. He's the one. Devin Funches is probably the biggest wide receiver left out of that group. Uh, they did just sign him this offseason. There's a lot of talk that he solidified as the two. I don't necessarily believe that. But then you've also got Paris Campbell, Penny Hart, Ashton Doolin, Dion Kane, and Doris Fountain. For me, Fountain, I think, is kind of the guy left out. We all know how much I love Paris Campbell and how I think this is the perfect landing spot for him. I do think he's going to end up securing a spot. For me, it's going to come down to Funches, Hart, Doolin, and Kane. I'm going to put Funches there right now again because they paid him. But something that I've really believed over the past few years is they went out and got Funches and they paid him because that's what was available at the time. They didn't know how the draft was going to fall to him then. Deion Kane, I really like, but with the ACL last year, I know it happened uh, in the preseason. But there's just no guarantee that the player comes fully back that next year. This will be that year. I still love Deion Kane. He's still worth the stash for me, but I don't know if I'd expect that much from him this year. We've had guys on that, you know, in Jared Wackerly that loved Penny Hart, loved Ashton Doolin. I don't know if either one of them can carve out a role here, but I would not be surprised if they overtake Devin Funches because, again, I think talent is going to win out. doesn't matter what they're paying you. And I just think that most of these guys are going to end up being more talented than Devin Funches. But if I had to choose two right now, for me, it would be Funches and Campbell. Who do you think takes these two spots next to T.Y. Hilton in the wide receiver room? Oh, it's definitely going to be uh, Funches and Campbell. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I expect it'll stay that way most of the season. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like it's going to be Dion Kane that pushes Funches. Okay. And he'll uh, eventually, uh, and by eventually, I mean probably next year, um, take that take that spot, and it'll end up being uh, T.Y. Paris and Kane. You know, Doolin's a developmental guy. I feel like he's going to be on the uh, practice squad. Fountain, um, you know, he's fighting for a spot. Uh, I'm not sold on Penny Hart. Uh, he's a slot guy, you know, one of these 5'8", 175-pounders. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, uh, you know, I wouldn't really throw him. Him and Doolin, I think, are really kind of uh, just guys uh, that have, they're going to have to put in time and develop and, and try to carve out a role. Paris is going to get his opportunity right from the get-go. You know, he's big, he's fast. Um, from all reports, he seems to be showing that, uh, you know, his problems with average depth of target and lack of a route tree were pretty much tied to his college scheme. He's showing the propensity to, to run a varied route tree and catch the ball well. So, Funches provides a specific skill. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they start the season with uh, T.Y. and Funches in two wide receiver sets, and by week eight, it's T.Y. and Paris in two wide receiver sets. So then I guess this leads to the most interesting battle, which it, it's not really a battle. I just put it on here because uh, we have a very long-going feud between Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle. I, I do believe that if Doyle comes back healthy, they're both going to get a fair split like they were last year before Doyle got hurt. Um, I know you will th- you think that Doyle will probably have the better year than Ebron. I think Ebron will have the better year. Uh, so I don't want to get too much into that. Uh, but I uh, just wanted to throw that out there, that those two will still be vying um, for snaps and everything. I do think it'll be more of a split, uh, probably closer to 50-50 than any other spots on this roster. Uh, do you disagree with that? 100% disagree <laughs> with that. So, riddle me this, Batman. Go ahead. Yeah. Who is Eric Ebron's primary competition for snaps? Is it? Candidate A, Jack Doyle, or Candidate B, Devin Funches? Um, I would probably actually say it's Funches, but then that goes back to my argument I just made that talent wins out, and I think Ebron is more talented than Devin Funches. So I, I, I might accept that premise that Ebron is more talented than Funches. But, they're, but they paid Funches. They're going to pay him. They paid E play him they paid ebron i think those two guys are fighting for the same snaps Mm -hmm. i think at the beginning of the season while campbell continues to get acclimated to the nfl it'll there'll be a little bit more you'll see more sets with funches hilton ebron and doyle and as the season goes on you're going to see more sets with funches uh ebron campbell and doyle and that's going to I think I don't know that Ebron, you know, he's going to end up having to to be uh, to figure out where where does he fit because him and Funches do such a similar thing. So they're gonna they're gonna be they're 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 really gonna be playing for the same snaps, and I think that they will 
try to keep both of them happy, which means they will split snaps and they'll try to keep him on the field, at, you know, rotating them in and out. It's it's you know it's going to become a committee big slot is what it's going to be, and and I think that just opens it up for Doyle. Last year when Doyle was healthy, Doyle out snapped Ebron. Uh, he out targeted Ebron when he was healthy, and I think that going forward, as long as he's healthy, that will continue to be uh, how it goes. And now when you add uh, Marlon Mack taking a step this year, Jack Doyle being healthy, and somebody that is the dynamic is Paris Campbell, um, that just pushes Ebron a little bit further down the pecking order. Uh, and then Doyle is the guy that's going to get out there and, and uh, knock the snot out of DNs and linebackers. And so he'll be on the field, which opens him up for target opportunity. Yeah, I disagree. I think he runs the guy. Uh, you know, I think uh, Doyle got all the work he did because he had that reputation and the the relationship with Andrew Luck, nobody knew what Ebron was going to be able to do. He was disappointing in Detroit, um, but he proved himself, I think, kind of reinvigorated his career there in Indy. Uh, I think he's going to get a fair shot and, and, in all honesty, get a very even split there with Doyle. Uh, moving on to the Tennessee Titans, not necessarily – I don't really know why I put this on there. I don't think it's a battle between Deion Lewis and Barnes. Um I think Lewis is going to be the guy's guy. Maybe Barnes comes in if Lewis gets hurt, which is is very realistic shot. Um, the real battle here for Tennessee is that third wide receiver slot, or really the second wide receiver slot. Uh, we know, even though I'm not a big Corey Davis believer, Corey Davis is the the alpha there. You've got AJ Brown, Adam Humphreys, and Taewon Taylor as the main guys there uh, in that wide receiver room. Do you have any? belief that any of these guys are going to be able to step up there with Davis and do anything in Tennessee? Well, A.J. Brown has to beat out Tajay Sharp, basically. Mm-hmm. Taewon Taylor, um, he lo- I, I feel like he lost his chance to secure a role when they signed Adam Humphreys. Not that Taylor was necessarily a really, really good slot player, um, but he's kind of got that typical slot size. And as teams are figuring out, you know, you've got your big slots and your small slots. Your small slots have to be very fast and quick or very quick and, and pretty fast. And Taylor is fast and quick. He's, he's got really good speed, um, but his problem is his hands. Uh, Sharp is a, a good veteran back to have on the team. He's got good size, um, but he, he doesn't have anywhere near, uh, he's not, I just don't think he's as dynamic as Brown. So if Brown comes in and can show that he's, uh, that he can learn that offense and, and do the little things, then I think he ends up uh, passing Tajay Sharp on, on the, the depth chart. Uh, and your top three then become Davis, Humphreys, and A.J. Brown. You know, the rest of their depth chart's a bunch of guys. You know, nobody, I think, is really going to push them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's Brown and Humphreys. Uh, they did bring in Humphreys. I think uh, he showed a little bit there, obviously, with Tampa Bay last year. I don't know if he can 
bring that same success over there to Tennessee. Again, all this is going to really rely on what Marcus Mariota and or Ryan Tannehill can do in this offense, but I do think it's going to come down to A.J. Brown uh, and Humphreys for me. In Jacksonville, uh, they brought in Alfred Blue. Um, then during the offseason, obviously drafted Reichel Armstead as well, who a lot of people are high on, but he's actually starting to get a lot of bad talk coming out of camp. Um, we know Leonard Fournette is the guy right now, but he has the suspension, health issues every year so far. Do you think it's going to be Blue or Armstead if Fournette's out, or do you think either one of these guys could possibly even get some run with Fournette in? Um. I definitely think they could get some run with Fournette in. Alfred Blue is just one of those consistently average backs. He's a good pass receiver. He's a decent runner, but he's not dynamic. He's not going to make mistakes. He's safe. You know, Alfred Blue is your safe school when you're applying to colleges. And he's going to come in and he's just, he's going to be the direct backup to Fournette. Um, They brought in Benny Cunningham out of Chicago, who's a a really good pass catcher. Um, Armstead is going to have to climb the depth chart. So he's going to have to show that he can block. Uh, He's going to have to show that he can catch. He's going to have to execute his assignments on the play. You know, they have a, another back that they brought in a free agent, so they actually, you know, they have five backs on their roster right now. And the other guy is Thomas Rawls, who, you know, he kind of came on the scene in Seattle a couple years ago. Then he broke his ankle. And that, that sort of the recovery from that, he never really made it back. Ended up at, with the Jets and didn't, you know, he was behind Crowell and McGuire. Didn't really do anything. You know, he's a couple years removed from that broken ankle now. Uh I could see him if something happens to Fournette. He's going to be, he's a little bit more dynamic of a runner than Blue is. You know, Blue is your 3.9 yards of carry guy. Uh, Rawls is the guy that, you know, he may have 3.9 yards of carry, but he's also going to be able to bust a 20 or 25 yarder. And you just don't see that from Alfred Blue. Um, so Rawls is a little bit of a sleeper on that team. Uh, I'm a big fan of Armstead. I loved his his uh, college tape that I watched uh, running up to the draft. He's got good size. He's he's just a little bit smaller than uh, Fournette, but uh, I think most people are a little bit smaller than Fournette. Uh, and so if he can learn the assignments, execute uh, his assignments, don't get his quarterback killed, there's, there's an opportunity for Armstead to, to climb up the depth chart. At the very least, he can climb to the number three spot over Cunningham and Rawls. Um, and then that'll give him, you know, he can split some playing time with Blue this year. They, uh, they being the Jaguars, you know, they're, they're not in love with Leonard Fournette. Uh, they need, you know, I, I don't think uh, when, when his contract is up, I don't. I don't think they're going to be uh, beating his door down, offering him a big free agent contract, unless he comes out this year and you know racks up you know sixteen hundred yards and fifteen touchdowns or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm right there with you on Armstead. Uh, like I said, he's getting some bad talk out of camp, but I just, I, I, as I talked about earlier with Alfred Blue with Houston, he was never really able to do it there, and he was given multiple chances because we saw Lamar Miller go down injured multiple times. I think Armstead is the guy. Wide receiver-wise, they've got a lot of guys here as hold, well. Hold on, hold on a sec. So bad, you've mentioned bad, bad reports coming out of camp for armstead yeah is it he's not playing well or he's got a shitty attitude uh not the shitty attitude that i've seen from what i've seen he's come in a little overweight and uh just not running or looking good from what i've heard again i'm not there so i I don't know that for to be true i don't know that what is being said is is accurate but from what i've seen stuff on twitter and what i've actually heard on the radio on some of the shows that i listen to they've said that he's come in more overweight than they expected which again we're talking about tom coughlin here so he may be two pounds overweight coughlin's blowing this into a big deal like he does a lot of things um and that he just hasn't looked good in camp uh during during their drills and everything so that's why i say bad talk in camp okay Right, so so he's, the, a, he's a rookie who needs to learn how to be a professional. Yeah, pretty much, I guess, is, is, is a good way to put it. Which, again, you know, coming from Tom Coughlin, this could not this could be something very minor that he's making into a major issue because we've seen him do that before. Uh, with the wide receivers in Jacksonville, it, I think this whole wide receiver group is open. You know, Marquise Lee was considered to be the guy, suffered the injury, was out all year last year. I don't think he's ever really proven to be a one. Uh, has looked good at times, but you've got Chris Conley, Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, D.J. Shark, Chark, and Marquise Lee. If you just had to pick three of these guys to be the, the lead three wide receivers in this offense with Mr. Nick, St. Nick, who would you choose? Well, I love Didi, so I'm definitely going to take Didi. Um, you, you know, he, he kind of goes a little bit against my, my type when it comes to wide receivers and that he's not necessarily a big guy. I think he's okay height-wise, but he's, he's quite skinny. But Didi's kind of a baller, man. He gets, he's a fighter. He's, he's that skinny guy that's standing off at the edge of the party when a fight starts. Uh, and these big dudes think they can take him, and he just starts dropping people. That's kind of what D.D. Westbrook <laughs> reminds me of. He, he just gets out on the field, and, and you know, he, he just plays hard. And he, and he, he, he takes that, I'm going to beat the man across from me mentality uh, on every single play. Uh, Lee, coming back off of his injuries, you know, he's going into his sixth season, I think. He was in the, from the 2014 draft class. Yeah, it it looked like he was going to break out last year, year before, but these injuries have just kind of knocked him down. I don't know how much faith I have in him. I, I could see uh, DJ Chark stepping up. You know, he's big, he's fast. Uh, he has a little bit of that uh, DK Metcalf in him, and that uh, he isn't necessarily, you know, he, he can run straight real fast, uh, but he might not turn very, very it's going to take him a little while to get turned. Um, so. I, I like what Chark brings to the table. Chris Conley is, uh, you know, I expected a little more from him uh, in Kansas City. He kind of falls into the same mold as Keelan Cole and Marquise Lee in that he just never seems to quite grasp the opportunity put in front of him and and, and become a star. Uh, he might flash for a few plays. He might make a big play but he just doesn't seem to put it all together. 
And now uh, I think he's getting to that point in his career. Uh, his first, he's on his second contract now, and he hasn't become the guy. And, you know, if you, if you look at the advanced analytics, uh, chances of him breaking out now and becoming the guy uh, are pretty slim. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's, he's going he's gonna to spend his career floating around that wide receiver three, four, five um, spot. So if I'm going to go into this season, my top three on this team are going to be Westbrook, Lee, and Chark. Yeah, and I'm I'm right there with you with Westbrook and Chark. I think Lee and Cole are going to be that final battle. I, I would lean Lee right now, just based on I think I've seen more out of him more consistently than I have Cole. But I liked Keelan Cole. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of people did when he broke out. I was actually someone who was very hesitant to believe the breakout. He didn't do much last year, but there were times that I saw. Uh, that spark that we saw the the two seasons ago. So I think that really that third spot's going to come down between those two. But I think if, if I'm trying to buy any shares in this Jacksonville receiving game, it's going to be all Westbrook and Shark. Those are the two that I think are going to be the most prominent here in the offense. Uh, and then the last camp battle here uh, is between Joff Swain and uh, Josh Oliver there at tight end. Uh, for me, it, it, it's Oliver all day long. Uh, you know, Swain obviously is the uh, – the proven veteran comes over from Dallas. I think he's a good blocker, uh, but I think Oliver has more talent, so that that's the guy that I would take. Yeah, um, Ol- Oliver, he's gonna, you know, he's that, I think, uh, typical tight end that's gonna need what three years to adjust to the NFL before he breaks out. Uh, he's a good athlete. Um, I, I just don't know. Uh, if he's going to be able to be fantasy relevant right out of the gate, played at San Jose State, uh, it's he, he's he's probably more of a pass catcher than a blocker. So I think Jeff Swaim and uh, O'Shaughnessy that they have there are going to probably be a couple of their top tight ends just because they're blockers. Ben Koyak, so. There's not a lot of dynamic athlete uh, in the uh, Jacksonville, Tennessee room. So Oliver is easily the guy that's going to win the athletic contest there. So if he can put it together uh, early and quick, he's going to get the opportunity to get on the field. But for me, he's, uh, you know, I'm drafting him and, you know, late third, fourth round, maybe even fifth round of my rookie drafts and stashing him on the taxi squad or the end of the bench. Um, more likely, I'm not drafting him and you know waiting to see if he does anything this year and then trading for him. Yeah. All right, so that takes care of the AFC North and South camp battles. Uh, that went uh, a little bit longer than than uh, I thought we were going to on that. Not a bad thing because there were some actually really interesting camp battles on there. Uh, so for today's episode, I think we'll just focus on the QB bounce back candidates and then we'll attack uh, the other ones as we move along, maybe on Monday's show um, with uh, along with some more camp battles on there with the the AFC East and West uh, divisions actually when I was looking at doesn't have quite as many battles so we'll try and knock out all of the RB wide receiver and tight end bounce back guys uh, on that episode along with some of the listener league stuff we talked about earlier so for the QBs what I've got on here is three guys that 
two of them I would say were more injury related, but again, I just kind of want to get an idea from you. If you think they have a chance to bounce back this season, we'll take them one at a time. The top one on my board was Carson Wentz because we saw two years ago before, I believe it was the week 13 matchup against the Rams where he was diving into the end zone for a touchdown and just got hit in the knee by two helmets. um, And it, completely just blew his knee out he was the MVP of the league I know Tom Brady ended up winning it but if you go back and look at Carson Wentz's numbers to me I think he was easily heads above anybody else including Tom Brady at that point in time to be the MVP of the league and just hasn't looked the same since then had the knee injury suffered with back stuff last year he's removed from that now all the reports are he's come into this offseason completely healthy I think Wentz has a chance to jump right back up into that top five, maybe as low as eight range of quarterback. What do you see out of Carson Wentz this year? Do you think this is the year that he finally bounces back into that MVP candidate that he was a couple years ago? Yeah, you know, Philadelphia is doing what they need to do to achieve some sustained excellence. They've went out, uh, they've drafted, you know, they, they, Traded for a solid running back, but then they drafted a three-down back in Miles Sanders. Um, th- they've had a bunch of pieces that you have to fit together as a puzzle. Sanders will be able. Sanders is is all of those. He's the best of all of those pieces. So they've got it. They've got a really good running back now. Um, I still think Howard's going to get a lot of playing time this year. Uh, I think that. It's we're probably a year away from Sanders taking over the offense. You've got two really good tight ends in Ertz and Goddard, and Wentz seems to have a good relationship with both of them. They added Deshaun Jackson as a deep threat. Uh, they drafted Andre Dillard as the heir apparent to Jason Peters. Uh, so they're working on replenishing their offensive line. Uh, Alshon's another year older. I think they drafted Whiteside as his replacement, but uh, I don't know if Whiteside, how much playing time Whiteside's going to get. Uh, their wide receivers with Jackson, Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar. Um, after that, it's Whiteside and then a, a kind of a bunch of wild cards. They did sign uh, AAF darling Charles Johnson to a free agent contract. Um They've got Mac Hollins, who's sort of been one of my dynasty stashes for a couple years now. Shelton Gibson coming back off of injury. So they've got a bunch of guys uh, fighting for their wide receiver five, six positions. Uh, but they've built a solid team that can keep going year after year as long as they don't go crazy and start to trade away all of their draft picks for you know, guys like Deshaun Jackson or the current version of Alshon Jeffrey, I think they're going to be in really good shape. They'll just keep, continue to restock. So is he going to get back to his MVP quality play? I think he is. I think Ertz or uh, Wentz is a uh, really talented quarterback. He's been in the same system with the same head coach. He hasn't had to deal with a bunch of turnover and learning new systems and, I feel like he'll step up and continue to play. He's had, you know, a couple fluky injuries, uh, I feel. And going forward, I think he's going to have a really good season this year. 
The next quarterback on my list is Mr. Kirk Cousins with the Minnesota Vikings. So for the three years prior in Washington, now granted, I think a lot of it was just because he really had to carry the team on his back and rushing touchdowns were huge for him. He was finishing as a top five quarterback in fantasy. A lot of people thought that he had a down year this year. He actually only fell to quarterback eight, which is not that much of a drop. Yet, he still wasn't in that top five, which a lot of people were expecting him to be, especially going to Minnesota with the better weapons around him. I mean, probably the two best wide receivers he's had. Add in Dalvin Cook, who is a wonderful receiving back out of the backfield. But I think everybody kind of forgot to account for how bad Minnesota Minnesota's offensive line was. I think that's really what hindered Kirk Cousins this year. Add in the fact that Thielen was hurt at times, Stephon Diggs was hurt, and Dalvin Cook did not seem to be healthy until the end of the year. Do you think Cousins has a chance to bounce back with Minnesota this year and become a top five quarterback again for fantasy? Yeah, it's always possible. I think quarterback eight is probably more, you know, where he where his uh, sweet spot is that seven eight eight area. I definitely think they're going to run the ball a little more if Cook stays healthy all year. Uh, I feel like drafting uh, Alexander Madison gives them a very similar type backup to Cook that they haven't had the last few years. They've had the last, you know, Latavius Murray is a good back, but he's not the same type of back as Dalvin Cook. Um, Jarek McKinnon is a good back, but where his game differs from Cook is in, in, as ridiculous as this is going to sound, is his ability to carry the ball 25 times. The reason I say that's ridiculous is because Cook hasn't really stayed healthy all year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think bringing Madison in, that's going to provide uh, additional depth there. You know, they've got they've got some great pieces in Thielen and Diggs. Uh, you know, they, they need a third receiver to step up. I really thought last year was going to be the year for Treadwell to step up, but he really, he didn't. Um, You know, maybe that third guy is going to be Irv Smith, uh, who has some of that flex tight end capability. I know that uh, the on-again, off-again extension talks with Kyle Rudolph, uh, I believe, are on-again. And so, you know, if they keep Rudolph and Smith both, that could allow Smith to kind of be that third receiver uh, over Treadwell, um, you know, they've got a couple, you know, Ola B.C. Johnson ha- uh, was very productive in college. I think Dylan Mitchell was pretty productive in college. But the rest of the guys are, are just guys. You know, Treadwell, um, Treadwell got beat out for the third wide receiver spot last year uh, by Aldrick Robinson. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that says about. Treadwell's prospect. I know they didn't sign him to his fifth year option. Yeah. Um, but Diggs and Thielen are is one of the best pairings of wide receivers in the NFL, and they they can put up some points. So there's definitely there's definitely weapons with Diggs and Thielen, uh, Rudolph and Cook. So I still think I think I, top five. I'm going to say no. Okay. I think the the eight is his sweet spot. And then last but not least, again, another quarterback that struggled with some injuries, and that's Jimmy GQ. We saw a little bit of, uh, you know, top-end potential in New England. 
In my opinion, when he went to San Francisco, he did not look that good. If you go back and look at his uh, box scores and everything in the way he played, I thought he played good as an NFL quarterback, but then if you look at his stats, he was throwing one touchdown, one interception. I think out of all the games he played in San Francisco, there was one or two games that he threw multiple touchdowns. That's not going to get you a lot of fantasy points if you're only throwing one touchdown a game. Uh, so I do think that he needs to improve on that a little bit now. He does have Kyle Shanahan now and a lot of weapons around him. Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon, Matt Breida. Then you add in Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin, uh, Jalen Hurd. I'm sure there's others that I'm George Kittle. I almost forgot about my guy, George Kittle. He's surrounded with weapons. Again, I feel like him out of all these guys more... You really have to say if he stays healthy, but do you think Jimmy G has a shot to be one of those top, we'll say top 10 quarterbacks this year in fantasy? Well, he's got a shot. I Part of the challenge I see with them is consistency at running back. Now, there's definitely a thought process that you can just plug and play any running back in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And and to an extent, I think you can. I think uh, Jeffrey Wilson kind of showed that. So they've they've got five running backs that are all very similar uh, in Coleman, McKinnon, Breda, Wilson, and Mostert. Uh, there's there's going to be. I I think they're going to end up being virtually interchangeable. So there'll be consistency in what they can do from there. Kittle is is uh, he emerged last year as a top three tight end. Uh, he's going to have to prove it wasn't a fluke this year, uh, and and he did it with three quarterbacks. So <laughs> if Garoppolo stays healthy, the question becomes: Will he? You know, will Garoppolo give Kittle the same kind of volume that he got from Mullins or from uh, Bethard? The wide receivers, yeah, I think Debo steps right into the slot role. I think he's going to take that. Um, Goodwin is going to be one of the outside guys uh, as long as he can stay healthy. I d- I'm not convinced that Jordan Matthews makes the team. Um, I In part because I think what Matthews does best is what Debo does best, and Debo is better. Debo's more dynamic, uh, and so... I don't know that, it, you know, it's like forcing J- Jarvis Landry out to the outside is kind of what what it ha- is happening in San Francisco with Jordan Matthews. I think he's a slot guy. He needs to be in the slot to thrive. And he, so I, I just don't like the fit for him, which means to me then Dante Pettis moves up the depth chart and takes that other outside role. So now you've got Goodwin and Pettis on the outside with Debo in the slot. Maybe Matthews makes the team and they let Trent Taylor go, who flashed a little bit in the slot. I think Richie James makes the team uh, because he's a a special teamer. So then it comes down to uh, Kendrick Bourne and Jalen Hurd. I I don't think they're not going to try to risk putting Jalen Hurd on the practice squad. I don't think. I I, I think that if they do, somebody will sign him off the practice squad. So they're going to have to... Keep him. He's going to be roster roster guy fifty three while they develop him into an NFL receiver. Uh, but at six three and two forty or whatever he is, 
you know, they they don't want to let him go. Um, so that all of that says, yeah, I think top twelve is there. I think if he's got to show he can stay healthy, um, but there's probably eight guys that can be in that, you know, ten to fifteen range, eight or ten guys that if things go like they're supposed to, they can they can uh, hit the top twelve. You know, they got to stay healthy on the offensive line. Nothing. There, there's no bigger enemy to to offensive production than a broken offensive line. So, if the offensive line produces then I think the rest of the team can produce. And if the rest of the team is producing, then that means Jimmy is going to put up some numbers. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for, for listening to us today. Uh, before you guys get out of here, leave us a rate and review if you guys wouldn't mind. Again, uh, the next eight reviews will get entered into a chance to win a spot into the Listener League. Before we cut out of here, Dennis, let us know where we can find you on Twitter and what you've got coming up with the Nerd Herd. All right, I am at culture underscore coach on Twitter. Uh, shoot me a message, DM me, just ask me in public. I'm more than happy to answer. Um, love talking fantasy football and uh, uh, sharing what I what I uh, what I'm learning. Uh, I think it's a, a group effort. Um, still, I'm working on my series on, uh, on the Nerd Herd articles about uh, deep stashes for each team in each division. Um, that's a that's continuing to get worked on it'll it'll come out um doing the standard rankings on the, the website so if you're a member of the nerd herd you can go click on standard uh you can see the consensus rankings you can see uh, my individual rankings just by clicking on my name so uh, i'm not i haven't jumped onto any of the other rankings yet uh, but we have idp rankings uh, integrated idp integrated with offense so you can see hey well it we, we've got the offensive players and defensive players. When should I start drafting defense? You can take a look and see what, what the, the guys over at uh, Dynasty Nerds say. Uh, and then uh, we're all here, you know, Dynasty Nerds being based in Ohio like me, we're all super excited for the, 21, 20, the 2021 draft oh, yeah. in Cleveland. Yeah, it should be excited. Uh, as we were all kind of talking about on Twitter there, it is uh, my goal to make sure that I'm there. Uh, and it would be awesome. I know uh, – Rich was talking about uh, possibly doing some kind of big nerd herd party and everything up there if enough people can make it up there. So it'll be definitely exciting to talk about. It sucks that it's two years away now to, to think about that, but uh, it'll be here before we know it, and I'm excited for that. It'll be it'll be nice to get back to the hometown for, for an NFL draft because I will do everything in my power to make that possible. So again, guys, thank you so much uh, for listening to us today. Uh, and then check back with us next week on Monday or Tuesday for, uh, again, another shot to get into the Listener League. Dennis, thank you, and have a good weekend. Right on. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly! Oh, they tackle him at the point of the line. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? <laughs> <laughs>